may be seated. Uh, if you have, uh, we forgot. To, I forgot this announcement. If you have, if you're up to uh, the rest of the church reading your Bible all the way through, uh, we'd like to clap for you. If you should be through Acts chapter, huh? We should. They wouldn't know that had you not said that. Um, if you should be through Acts 17, now just think, if you would have started, you would have been heading towards Revelation right now. Actually, our world is heading towards Revelation, um, but that's where you would have been. So uh, if that's you, please stand up. We'll see who you are. Heidi, I'm sneezing. Oh, less and less. Miss Karn, God bless you. Thank you. <clears throat> I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 26. Needless to say, there's a whole lot of uh, confusion about a lot of things in the Bible, in my opinion. Um, and to me, it's becoming quite evident. It's not like you really have to read into it anymore. Uh, they quit deceiving, hiding, and being underhanded. They just do it out out blatant now and that's just the way that it goes so part of my job as the pastor of the anchor baptist church and according to the bible is to educate you in the word of god so that you would not be blown around by every wind of doctrine cunning craftiness of men watch this watch the purposefulness of this they lie in wait to deceive now this is what god says there are people preachers who are actually uh uh, ministers of righteousness which are not from God at all and uh, they will deceive and when I first got saved my brother said uh, you know you got to be careful because the, the devil can be transformed into an angel of light and his ministers into ministers of righteousness in my head I'm panicking well then how in the world am I supposed to know God gave us his word thus we're back to please read your Bible again by the way, the Bible doesn't just say read your Bible, it says study. Yeah. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, you got to figure out. I've talked to many people in here that's come from other churches. Uh, don't take this wrong. I, I don't blame you. I blame the church and the preachers you used to listen to on how little you know where those scriptures go you keep talking about. And uh, so it concerns me a great deal. And this happens to be one of those things right here. So if you're new at the Anchor Baptist Church, I'm going to try to educate you a little bit tonight and see if I can't make some sense out of this. It's not as difficult as, as people make it. And let me just warn you right now, and you won't believe this. After all of these decades of reading the Bible and doing the Lord's Supper, I saw something for the first time this afternoon. I found it pretty amazing. I will share that with you as we go forward. And so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 26, starting in verse number 17. Matthew 26, verse number 17. <clears throat> I'll read out loud. You read along with me silently. But here's, here's the way it goes. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. Now the first day <clears throat> of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into a city, such a man, and say unto him, 
the master saith, my time is at hand. I need to keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready. So in other words, the man agreed with them. Whoever, Jesus told them what to do, and they did it. Verse 20, now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did, listen to me, as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he, said, and he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand in the dip. By the way, this is the way they used to eat when we were in Ghana. That's what they did over there. Not me. That's what they did over there. Uh, that's what Brother Celier did over there. And that's what Brother Dave Ward did over there. And they had a big bowl and they had this Whatever it was in there was, uh, what they, I'm looking for, don't talk like that to me. And you reach, everybody reaches in the same dish and pulls off some, sop it in a, like a soup all around it and with your fingers and eat it and then reach back in and do more. You talk about double dipping. And uh, so, okay, now wait a minute, before you think that's real weird, that's what they're doing here. He that dippeth with me in the sop. That's what Jesus said. So go down to verse number, um, what am I at here? 18, 19? Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and here's what he said. And answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. Now you think this would be obvious, but everybody was doing this. So watch what happens. The Son of Man goeth as it is written. That be in the Old Testament. Woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed! Exclamation point. It had been good that that man, if he had never been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink hence. Now watch this very carefully. A lot of people use wine in, during the Lord's Supper. All the Catholics do, Lutherans do, Methodists do, a lot of them. Uh, and now Baptists, they don't even go to church, they just drink it anyway. And But watch what happens here. Often I would say it doesn't say wine anywhere, and it still doesn't. However, for the first time, I saw this. Watch it, henceforth, of the fruit of the vine. What is the fruit of the vine? Yeah, it's not alcohol. It's grapes. And when you squeeze, you get grape juice. And so he's simply saying here, this is the fruit of the vine, is a grape. The fruit of the vine is not alcohol. It's not wine. It's a grape. And so he said, this is what it is. So he said, I will not. They're drinking. He gave them to drink, and he said, I will not. Because he said, I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let me help bring you up to speed on, on a few things here a little bit. They came to celebrate what had taken place way back in the day of Moses, and it was called the Passover. It was called the Passover because in order to deliver them out of Egypt, which represents the world, 
you had to be saved. To get away from there, from Pharaoh and Egypt, he said the way you're going to be delivered, there's going to be a death angel pass over, a judgment is going to be passed. And he's going to come over and he's looking for specifically for the blood. And so what you had, the angel was passing over. That's the Passover. You see, you see that? You understand that part? So as that was happening, those with the blood that was applied, not those who believed in the blood, but those who applied the blood to the lintel and to the doorposts of their house, those inside were safe from judgment because of the blood. didn't make any difference if you were rich or poor, where you lived in Egypt. If the blood was applied, that's what the death angel saw and passed over you. That's why it was called the Passover. During that time, there was no leaven allowed in the house. And during the time of Jesus too, they would go through the entire house and search out everything and take all leaven. Leaven be like, I think, like yeast nowadays, right? Am I right with that? And what it does, ladies, if you, does anybody still bake? Cook? Uh, what they do, they, I said ladies, Ben raised his hand. <clears throat> Thank you, Ben. God bless your heart. Miriam. Uh, and so what happens is with yeast or leaven, just a little bit will permeate the whole thing. And it'll, it'll infiltrate the whole thing. So what he's saying is all leaven needs to be out of the house because just a little will leaven the whole lump. You understand? Okay. So this is going on too. During this time, they had to partake of a unspotted, nothing wrong, unblemished lamb just like they did back in Moses' day, just like they did back then. Now, this has everything to do with what we're doing tonight. Just like they did back then, they had to take a lamb. Watch this. They set it aside for four days and examined it. You do, you do the math, you'll find out, I think it's on the 10th, they took a lamb, and until the 14th, they watched over it, they examined it, no blemish, no fault, no no crippling, no, no it had to be a pure, perfect lamb in the first year of its life, or in the prime of life. Has everything to do with Jesus Christ, right? And type and shadow. We find out here, the Jewish people, the Passover for them started at, starts at sundown. They don't, they don't keep their religious uh, people and their religious right, they don't do like we do, 12 o'clock at night, let's start it. I don't know who did that. To this day, that doesn't make sense to me. Somebody says, I got an idea. In the middle of the night, why don't we start a new day? Jesus never did that. God never did that from the very beginning. The morning and the evening were the first day. And by the way, their religious calendars are still set up that way. They followed the morning and the evening were the first day. And so at sunset, a, a uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Friday night. Uh, thank you. One person knows the right. Sabbath would take place. Now, where a lot of people get mixed up, they think the only Sabbath there is is from Friday night till Saturday night. And that's not true. There's annual Sabbath, and there were other Sabbaths that they had to celebrate or pay attention to also. So what happens here is this. They had historically in the first year, the Lord's Supper was combined with what they called the love feast. Now, before you get in the wrong mindset here, what they did, the churches were so poor that they would come together and everybody would bring whatever food they could and they would share it with one another because they loved the brethren and they would share with each other. So they were feasting and they were doing it because they loved each other. It makes sense. They called it a love feast. But just think about that for a minute. 
And so what happens at this time, what was going on here, the church was so poor, they shared with one another out of the love and giving each other. But both of these in the early church were combined together, the Passover and this love feast, and they labeled the whole thing as the love feast. So here's what happened. Because of the great poverty of the church, you think we're in church a lot. Check this out. Come to find out that the early church, they had church early in the morning every day. Boy, that would be a good way to start off your day. Let's go hear Pastor Bell preach for an hour before we get our day started. That'd fire you up, wouldn't it? The love feast was in the evening. In the evening. They would meet together as often as they could every week because of, there she is. Hi, Miss Emma, I was looking for you. And... Um, so this is what they would do. And then after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, now the Lord's Supper was late in the evening every day. So they were real serious about this, and they did it a lot all the time. But because there were spies, in those days, you remember the apostle Paul, they were scared to death of Paul because Paul had papers to go around and have people arrested, put them in jail, have them killed, split up their families, and he was hot on the trail of a lot of people. And so because of that, in those days, if you were not baptized and made that open confession, nobody told you where they were meeting. Because if they did and they found out about it, they could, you could be killed. So you didn't get baptized because it was neat. And you didn't say, I'm a Christian because it's good for business. Because in these days, you'd be killed by a lot of different people. The Apostle Paul, well, not that time, but Paul, who was Saul at one time. See, to be baptized openly, which was a must, you had better be saved because it could mean your life. All of this was accompanied by prayer and singing. The Passover, the love feast, and then, of course, later on would be the um, what we're doing tonight called the Lord's Supper. After all of this, the unleavened bread, the dinner, all of this was called the love feast. Now, in 150 A.D., so that's about 120 years after Jesus Christ. We come to find out there was a guy by the name of Justin Martyr. Now you wonder where all this comes about. Listen very carefully here. Here's a quote. Watch what he says concerning this love feast and everything that's going on here. The Lord's Supper, now I'm quoting him. The Lord's Supper and the love feast separated because of abuses and false rumors caused by exclusiveness. What well, had to be exclusive because some of these people, they would, they would cast them out. They would disown them from the temple. Their family would, like they do in the Middle East now, when people over there claim to be a Christian, they are completely disowned if they're not murdered. So this was serious business. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, look at verse number 20 to, again, use Bible to show you that even when they first started this, they were having problems. Watch what happens here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Watch what he says. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. This is getting out of hand. This whole thing is we're becoming selfish. People are becoming drunk. They're coming like they're eating a meal together. Had nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. Look at verse number 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. There were people showing up that didn't have anything. And the reason it was a love feast because whatever I have, I would share. Whatever you had, you would share. And now it's getting to the place of, oh, no, that all, that's me and my family. That's ours. 
And so now we come find Justin Martyr said something about this. Now the Apostle Paul is writing the church at Corinth and saying, look, we can't go on this way. This is not what this is all about. You are barking up the wrong tree, if you would. So while this dinner is going on, Judas is pointed out. Okay, We're not talking about the Lord's Supper. We're talking about the Passover dinner. During this dinner, Judas is still here. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter number 26 and verse number 20. Let me turn this on. Matthew 26, go down to verse number 20. Now when Eden was come, they sat down with the twelve. Now they're getting ready for the Passover dinner. This is not the Lord's Supper. It says the Lord's Supper had not been instituted yet. Watch what happens in verse 21. And as they did eat, he said, Verily one of you, I'm sorry, said unto, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one, I just read this a minute ago, of them saying to him, Lord, is it I? Nobody had an idea. What, what is he talking about? No, it's, Lord, it's not me. Even Judas said that. Lord, is it me? He already knew. And so we come to find out here in verse number 20, while the dinner is going on, they're sitting down to eat because they said, who sopped to it? So they're already eating, and Judas is still here. This is very important. Listen to me carefully. Judas is still here, verse number 22. And they did eat. Verily I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And they said, Lord, is it I? We come to find out, verse 23, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish. They're eating supper, not the Lord's supper. They said, we're not having a meal tonight. That's not what this is. So here's what we find. Here's the progression here. Before the Passover, not the Lord's Supper, before the Passover, Jesus now is getting ready to wash the disciples' feet. So before they eat, which is customary all the way back to the days of the Babylonians and others, washing feet is not a New Testament rite or a New Testament doctrine. Go, if you would, go to John chapter number 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter number 13. When I first got saved, I was in a foot-washing church. I got saved in one of those, not because my feet were washed, though they did need it from time to time. In John, chapter 13, verse number 1, I want you to understand, during the foot-washing service, Judas is here. During the, the Passover, Judas was there. you got to keep the progression. you got to keep the timeline. Watch what happens here. John chapter 13, verse number 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, before the feast of the Passover, it was customary when somebody comes in to offer them a pan and a towel or have one of your servants clean their feet before you got ready to come in the house or to eat. So before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from this world unto his Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. Supper being ended, watch, and the devil having put into Simon uh, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, riseth up from supper. So the supper's going on. Jesus stands up. Judas and all the 12 are there. He stands up, and for the first time, he begins to institute something. I'm sorry. Not in, he's getting ready to do something caught him completely off guard. Here's what he's getting ready. He's getting ready to wash their feet. So what is this all about? This is very important. Watch what he says. He took a towel. I'm in verse number four, the latter part, and gird himself. That means he wrapped it around him. 
And as he poured water into a basin, after he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the tail, towel with where he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. you got to love Peter. Bless his heart. He don't understand something. He's going to ask questions. Uh, excuse me, what are we doing this for? Watch what he says. And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Are you getting ready to wash my feet? Watch what happens here. And Jesus uh, answered and said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Now Peter was trying to say, Look, you're the Lord. I know you're the Son of God. You're not going to do that to me. I am not going to have that. Because to them, that's something that a servant did, and he was the Lord. So watch what happens here. Jesus said, if I wash not, uh, if I wash thee not, thou hast not part with me. And Simon Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Okay, give me a bath. Man, I, I wanted to have the best part that I could possibly have. And watch what Jesus replied. Jesus said unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Now, that's old King's English, and a lot of people don't understand that. What he's saying, if you're already clean, you don't need to be clean again. But you walk through this world, Peter, and look at your feet. They're dirty. But he's not talking about literal washing somebody's feet. This is an illustration of something much more that God wants to talk to him about. So go down to verse number 11. For he knew who should, he's, not all of them were clean because he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, you're not all clean. Verse 12. So after that he washed their feet and taketh his garment and, and, and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done unto you? Do you understand what I just did? They didn't. Watch. You call me master and Lord and you say, well, for I am. Right? That's what he says. Verse 14. If I then be your Lord and master, wash your feet, ye ought to wash one another's feet. Now, a lot of people take that and go, see, foot washing is, is, is part of the church. No, it's not. Because if you believe other doctrines like eternal security, then you'd find out, he told Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part, your salvation's over with. That's not what he's talking about there. So what is he talking about in this verse? Now, understand, Judas is still here. He's at the supper. Jesus gets up from supper, gets a pan of water, kneels down in front of all of the disciples, those that were in that upper room with him, and they begin to wash their feet. Judas was here. What foot washing is all about is not a pan of water and a towel. It's the washing of the water by the word. Jesus said, look, I am your master, and I want you to be clean, and I'm going to help you do that. Then he gets done. He says, do you understand what I just did? You ought to do this to one another. What he is saying is help keep each other clean. Help keep each other right with God. This is what he's trying to teach them. Just walking through this world, we get dirty. You can't be saved over again. Once saved, always saved. But you can still get sin and dirt from this world on you, and we need to help keep each other clean. And this is what he meant. Peter, you don't need to be washed all over again. Just your feet. Look at your feet. They're a mess. Today we do that with our hands, right? Before we go to shake hands or sit down at the meal, uh, excuse me, I need to go wash my hands, right? Well, because that's the part that's exposed. But for them, their feet was. And they walked through that dusty, dirty place over there and through the mud, whatever else and that happened to fall in the streets. And uh, they would come and they would recline. And so it was proper to offer. This isn't something that happened in the New Testament. They used to do this in the Old Testament. And they would offer a pan. And one of your servants or the individual themselves would kneel down and wash their feet. 
because it was dirty. Jesus, so he's not instituting something new here because it's already been done. He's trying to bring about an illustration of helping keep each other clean because the way we walk through this world, we just pick up sin like dirt. And we need to help. This is why when somebody goes, what are you doing? Don't do that. You know what they're doing? They're trying to wash your feet. They're trying to help you stay clean and right so you can have fellowship with the Lord. You understand that? They're not being nosy. They're trying to help you. So what we have here is simply this. The teaching of this is getting daily cleansing, known sin out of one's life and others helping you before communing with God, before fellowshipping with God, before before absolutely having unity with other Christians. It's hard to do that when there's known sin reigning in your life. Judas is here right now. Follow me. So we need to help. We need to get that confessed and get it out of the way. The disciples were already saved believers and following Christ, but they must have daily cleansing from sin. In John chapter 13, you're already there. Look at verse number 10 and 11. Jesus said to him, He that is washed need not save to wash it. He doesn't need to be washed except saved, except his feet. Look at them, they're a mess. You don't need to be take another shower, you just got it, but look at your feet, if you would. Okay. And so he said, But is clean every whit. You're clean everywhere, and ye are clean, but not all. Of course, he was talking specifically about Judas. So we find out here that what's going on, Judas is still among them. He deceived them all. Listen to me, Christian, before you partake of this land. He deceived everybody except one person. And that was Jesus. Don't care how you open your eyes. Don't care how you pay attention. Don't care how you sing. Got me fooled. But he never, as good as he was, he was even the treasurer of their money that they gave and took to other people to help them. They trusted him that much. Jesus knew all along. He was here during this whole time. In John chapter number 13, drop down to verse number 21. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit. Um, Okay, okay, okay. Yes, verse number 21 of chapter number 13 of John. Okay. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting whom he spake. Uh, I'm sorry, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' breast one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. We know that's John the Beloved. Simon Peter, here we go again. Therefore, beckoned me. John, ask Jesus. It's like you used to do with your little sister, right? I'm not going to ask mom. You go ask. They like you. Go, go talk to mom. So Peter gets John to ask him a question. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, the, the disciple that was leaning on Jesus' breast, that he should ask him who uh, uh, that I'm sorry, who it should be of whom he spake. Then he, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? He never said, is it I? He knew it wasn't him. The rest of them weren't sure. Nobody suspected Judas. Judas was still here at the time. So they went through the, the Passover part of that. They went through that supper. They went through the foot washing. Now Jesus had pointed them out. Judas is still here. He's faking everybody out. Christian, please listen to me. It's not a thing of nobody knows. 
So it doesn't matter. Jesus knew that. So what do we find out here? We come to find out here that, that Jesus points out who should betray him. It is at this time during the Lord's Supper, as before he institutes it, Judas gets up and leaves. Before, look at me, before he institutes this, Judas gets up and leaves. Jesus looked at him and said, you know who I'm talking to? You know who I'm talking about? Go do what you need to do. Judas left. Judas was not at the Lord's Supper when he instituted this. He was gone. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 26 through verse number 30. And Jesus said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when he hath dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas. Now, you'd think they'd have caught on by now, but they didn't. The son of Simon. After the sop, Satan entered into him, and then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this. They're not catching on. Jesus actually just now said, it's you and whatever you have to do, you need, you need to do it now. Everybody's going, oh, I wonder what that was all about. Had no idea. Jesus knew. Please understand what I'm trying to point out here right now. Judas is not here for this. He's gone. Judas never did fool God. Never. He knew all along. He knew when they were doing miracles, when they were in the garden praying. He knew Judas. He knew Judas. He, it's like he knows you and me. He knows us. We could wash feet and you'd say, oh, I love the Lord. Judas was there during the healing, during the praying, during the teaching, during those three years with Jesus. He was there for all of it and he never fooled the Lord, but he fooled everybody else. So now watch what happens here. Now the Lord's going to institute what we call the Lord's Supper. Go back to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. In Matthew chapter 26, verse number 25. Matthew 26, verse number 25. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, he took bread. Now he's getting ready to institute the Lord's Supper. We come to find out through the other Gospels that Judas has already got up and he has already left. Go to first, uh, Keep your hand here. We're coming right back. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Keep your hand here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. See, this is that part where the Bible, Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved. I know this is very confusing to a lot of people, but especially young Christians. Why didn't he just write it out in chronological order? Chronological order? How come I got to go from here and go over here and hope that's the same thing? And, is he still talking about the same guy? Is this a different time? The Lord wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to study his word to prove to yourself it is what it says it is. You can listen all you want to and hear other people talk, but you've never proved it. And that's what God wants us to do. So look in chapter number, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also, and this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, which also delivered unto you, that the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse number 25. After the same manner also he took the cup. He never says wine anywhere. 
to all these people are giving wine to everybody or God forbid the blasphemy that says we prayed over it and you're actually drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. You're actually eating a piece of his flesh in that wafer because I, the priest, have prayed over it. That's about as blasphemous of anything I know. Not just because I'm a Baptist. The Bible talks about uh, eating the flesh, drinking the blood. God is completely against that. Why all of a sudden would he institute something? Well, but it was his flesh and blood. I'm sorry. He was a human being, and God said, don't do that. So watch what happens here. We're down in verse number 23, uh, 25. And after the same manner, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, understand, he said New Testament there. This is going to be key here in just a minute. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Go back to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to notice in verse 26, chapter 26, verse 26, chapter 26, verse 26, the first part. And as they were eating, they were already sitting down to eat when the Lord stands up and takes bread. Understand, the only bread allowed in the house was unleavened bread. That's what they had on the table. He picked up some bread, and here's where he begins to institute the Lord's Supper here. So in verse 26, the Bible says he took bread. The only bread allowed at the Passover was unleavened bread. And the Bible said he took it, that he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, they took it. Who's not here? Judas. Why? Judas wasn't saved. Judas was basically, I don't care what his intention was, he's making a mockery of the whole thing. Right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'll show you here in a minute in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do not partake of this unworthily. Amen. One of the worst things you can do is, yeah, but I'm already here. People will think it'd be best that you just kind of but I'm also going to give you an opportunity to get things right with God. Watch what happens. So we find out here in Matthew 26, 27, the Bible said, then he took the cup. Look at verse number 29, the second part of that. And he says, the fruit of the vine until the day. So he's saying the fruit of the vine. The wine is never mentioned in connection with the Lord's Supper. Wine is never mentioned in connection with the Lord's Supper. I don't care where, I don't, I don't know about some Bibles out there, but the King James Bible doesn't say that. So what happens is here, the Bible said he gave it, I'm sorry, he gave thanks, he gave it, and they drank it all, all right? You're not partially saved. You're all the way saved or you're not saved at all, okay? So first of all, he broke it, the unleavened bread, and all this is, all this is, look at me, this is very important, but this is simply a, a, a illustration of something much greater. This little wafer you're about ready to take and this cup you're about ready to drink all of this is just an illustration of something much, much greater. This is not what's important. Oh, this is so holy. You put away from it. Oh, dear Jesus. What are you doing? Where do you get that stuff at? That's Catholic blasphemous doctrine. There is no Bible for that whatsoever. Now, watch what happens here very carefully. You're going to find out that what's getting ready, especially if you talk as much as I do for the Lord's Supper, my mouth is very dry then I'm going to take a wafer that is dry. There's no flavor in it. So if you're looking for taste or you think it's like supper time, it's not. So you're going to take this. It's, it's tasteless. It's unleavened bread. It is to remind us of Jesus' body. That's what he says. Remember my body which was broke, not broken like bones were broken, but broke like it stopped working. 
it's broken. It doesn't work anymore. And so he wants us to remember that. As we place this wafer in our teeth, our teeth like the jaws of death. You'll hear it. You'll hear it crunching. You'll hear it personally. And then you, if you listen real carefully, you'll hear it all over the room. This crunching down on the, if you would, this helpless piece, tasteless, dry, just common, nothing. Getting the life, if you would, chewed out of it. This would happen to your Savior. This is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. In the prime of life. In the prime of life. And, and he said, remember, in Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 53, he grew up as a tender plant out of dry ground. Sounds kind of like tasteless, nothing special, just an everyday guy. Kind of like that. We have come to believe Jesus, I guess he climbed mountains and walked dirty dust trails with a white robe on, walked around like this all the time with a halo around his head. No, he didn't. No, he did not. He hungered, he thirsted, he felt pain, he cried, he rejoiced, he laughed, just like you and I would do. Just an everyday man who happened to be the son of God. So watch what happens here is this. In, in, in Isaiah 53, it says he drew up as a tender plant as a root out of dry ground, in the prime of life, had a real body, felt real pain, and he says, I want you to remember. Over in, in 1 Corinthians, we'll read it again over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. What this is about is remembering, not the wafer and not the cup. Something greater than that. This is just an illustration. This is just to, to, to help you focus on what's really important. Jesus took in his hands that night, took that unleavened bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it out and said, eat it. That's what we're going to do tonight. And by the way, that's what happened to our Lord. This world, if you would, ate him up and broke him to pieces and gave him away like it didn't mean that much. When you chew that wafer tonight, the Bible said, remember my body. Remember my body. On purpose, think about what he went through for you. Don't go, I don't want to think about it. No, he said, please, don't forget that. I want you to remember my body that was broken for you. You have to remember, just like this, if you would, Jesus was mercilessly treated, mercilessly treated. Just like you put that, till there's nothing left. That's what they did to Jesus. The world pounded him. So we will, in, in likeness, if you would, this wafer in the jaws of our death would just smash the daylights out of it like there's, there's, like there's no meaning to it whatsoever. And he said, remember my body. So this thing about, I, I don't want to think about that. God said, no, no, I don't want you to forget it. I want you to remember me. Remember my body. Remember how it was bruised? Did you read the Bible? Have you heard it? How his body was bruised? Isaiah talks about that. The beatings, the slapping in the face the embarrassment, the stripping him down, the spitting on him, the pulling out his beard, the cries, I thirst, how he suffocated in his own body fluids until he couldn't breathe anymore. He said, please, I, I, I know this may sound sad, but I want you to remember what my body went through for you. That's what this is about. It's not about these things. Go to Hebrews chapter number nine. The next thing Jesus did, he took the cup. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 9. This cup that we're partaking of, it's not what's in the cup. It's just, it's just grape juice. 
Nothing special about it. It's not wine. It's not blessed because we're getting ready to have prayer. By the way, that goofy priest doesn't know any better either, but he's not doing anything. But there sure are fooling about 400 million Catholics. So watch in Hebrews chapter number 9. Drop down to verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot. It sounds like the lamb back in, in Exodus in Moses' day, except he didn't offer himself. They took him. And purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, talking about us, because of our transgressions, that were under the First Testament, all the, all the law did was condemn people. Nobody could live by the Ten Commandments. Nobody could live by the law. The law wasn't given to justify anybody. The law was written so everybody would say, I can't do this. And God says, about time you recognize that. So when you hear somebody say, well, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, that's impossible. Nobody could do that. Nobody could do that. In the New Testament, it said nobody was justified by the law. It is evident. For salvation comes by faith, not by works of the law. And the law is made up of works. See, the Bible answers all your questions if you just get in there and start looking at it. So here's what we have in Hebrews chapter number uh, uh, 9. Drop down to verse number uh, 16. For where a testament is... There must also of necessity be the death of a testator. If you have a last will and testament, that's what he's talking about. We call this the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Is that what you call it? What do you think? Somebody just come up with a cool name? What they're saying is in the New Testament, you're going to find out until somebody dies, these are just words on a page. It doesn't mean a thing. There's no power. There's no authority. There's no keeping of the promise. It is just writing on paper until the death of the testator, just like your last will, last will and testament. Finally, when I kick the bucket, then you can fight over what I've got. But until that time, go to all the lawyers you want to. There's not a thing you can do about it because there is no power in those words until it's my death. Same thing here. Watch what happens, verse number 17. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So we come to find out that Jesus died not just to save you. Look at this. This is so important. Not just to save you. We keep thinking Jesus saved me from hell. Like that's all he did. That, there's so much more to that. But watch this. All of the promises you run to, all of the doctrines that you hold dear, all the things that God promised you doesn't mean a thing if Jesus did not shed his blood and die. That's what also gave all the New Testament, the New Testament, all of its power, all of its authority, everything about it is because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So it wasn't just a forgiving of your sins. It gave power. He's talking about the New Testament. And there is no power in that testament without the death of a testator. You, you follow me? So it's not just this thing about being saved. So now we come to find out all the promises that we as Christians hold dear and believe are true are only good and have any authority in them at all with God is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is what gives this its authority. He brought before God in the heavenly tabernacle 
you read that in Hebrews. His blood speaks for us and testifies to us before God, just like the blood did in the Old Testament. In Hebrews 9, verse number 16 and 17, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now, I hope this isn't going over here. I'm hoping this is making more sense to you. Until you hear a truth, you'll never understand truth. You've got to hear it for the first time. For a testament is a force or has its power, authority, after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. So as long as Jesus was alive, it's just words on paper. Once he died, all of this became a living book that can really change things. That's really the promises it makes if you're saved is yours because of his blood. That's what gives it its power. So we are saved and sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is a true fact. And every truth in the New Testament of Scripture has the signature of the testator in blood, and that's what gives his power to us. Jesus Christ, his name is upon this. He is the testator. And the New Testament said, this is, the New Testament is my son. And his blood is what gives it that authority. It is what gives the New Testament its strength with God. So when God, you say, like, it's God you promised. God's held to that promise because of his son, what he did. When we drink this cup tonight, Jesus wants us to remember his blood that was shed, but also what it has and is doing for us even now. Don't act like it's something done 2,000 years ago and nothing. He, he stopped his work. He's not done yet. Salvation's done, but he's in heaven right now as, I, as, I, as our mediator as the person that talks between us and God and makes sure everything is according. We're going to be judged by his word, the power that's in this. Do you understand that book you've got in your lap is what that means? This is Jesus saying, this is my last will and testament. Everything in here is absolutely true and is yours when I die and raise again. He did die and raise again. So when you read this, you go, I hope that's true. Stop your hoping. It's absolutely true. But watch this also. So there's the bread, there's the cup. These are illustrations. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 26. 1 Corinthians chapter number 26. When I first got saved, all this was so confusing to me. I got that whole foot washing thing because that's what they did in the church. I mean, once or I don't know how many times a year, they'd all get down and grow men would hug each other's feet and kiss their feet and wash their feet and... and Okay, that's the importance of getting in the right church as soon as you get saved. Because people to this day that were in there, because they won't read their Bible and figure it out. They are stuck on that. And they'll actually tell you, do you believe Jesus died for you? Yep. And then they'll ask you, you believe in foot washing? Well, I think you ought to wash your feet. Yeah, that's not what they're talking about. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. We talked about the bread that was broken, unleavened, okay? We also talked about the cup. It's nothing more than grape juice, fruit of the vine. Now watch this. Verse number 26, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, here's what you're doing. You do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus says, I want you to remember my body and how it was broken for you. Jesus says, I want you to remember my blood, how it was shed for you and what it has done and is doing for you. He said, I want you to remember that. And then he reminds us, this is a good part, I'm coming back. I am coming back. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 11, turn there please. Acts chapter 1, verse number 11. 
we get so disheartened, almost like the Lord left us here and we're on our own. And we do. You, you know that's true. There are times, God, I just don't know what else to do. Like all of a sudden, we got to fend for ourselves. We got to figure it out for ourselves. And somehow we got to do this all by ourselves. Got Jesus up in heaven and he's in a construction job up there and, and building us a place to live. And what are we supposed to do down here? Ladies and gentlemen, that's not true. Watch what happens in Acts chapter number one. That's what these men were doing. Jesus went away and watch what, what uh, the, the angel says. And you men of Galilee, I'm in chapter one of Acts, verse number 11. You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up in heaven? That's a good question. What do you, what do you look, what Jesus, there he goes. There goes Jesus. What do you mean what are we looking up in heaven for? Ready? This same Jesus. You, the Bible says in Revelation and other places that in the last days men shall come saying, I am the Christ. What did the angel, as Jesus was going away, say? This same Jesus. Quit looking for people even again. They're starting it all over again. As soon as that started in the Middle East, uh, Jesus is coming back in 2024. Wow, I want to know more about that. Why do you want to know more about a lie? You say, how do you know he's not? Because what the Bible says. The Bible clearly says nobody knows the time, not the angel, the Father himself. He's the only one that knows. So how does this... Oh, he's got word of knowledge. See, you get all wrapped up in stuff. That, anyway, watch what it says. Acts chapter 1, verse number 11. You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. You read the, the he went up in the clouds away from them. He's coming back in the clouds. Read the book of Revelation. He's coming back and the angel said, no Bible, it never contradicts itself. So whatever it says here has got to match if it says something right over here. It has to fit together. So Jesus is coming back in the clouds just like he went away. The same Jesus, the same one you see go away, he's coming back. This is what the Bible teaches. In like manner as you see him go into heaven. I believe what Jesus is saying here, along with the Lord's Supper, you partake of this bread and this cup. I want you to remember and not forget what I have done for you. Remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget what my blood did for you. Don't forget what my body did for you. But don't forget this too. I did not do all of this so you can fend for yourself down there and I have to go away. I might come back. I might not come back. He said, no, if I go away, I'm coming back. I am coming, and I want you to remember that also. So we have to understand, I did not, Jesus basically saying, I did not do all of this so that one day I did it so we could be together. I didn't do this so we'd be apart. I didn't come to earth and die for you so we'd never be together. You belong to the Father. I come here to bring you back to the Father. One of these days I'm coming back to take you to my Father's house. I'm going to take you to the Father, my Father. I'm going to take you to his house. He got a huge house, about 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Pretty good sized place. By the way, it's not, a, it's not a ranch. John 14. Go to John 14, verse number one. What comfort. Jesus knew that they were scared. He knew that. He knew that. And this is a part of remember me. This is a part of what this is all about. I do want you to think about my blood, he says. I do want you to think about my body, he says. And then he said, I want, something, I want you to remember something else. I'm coming back. Watch what it says in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's, what's the next word? House are many mansions. Man, you're going to put a lot of mansions in somebody's house, pretty good house. In my Father's house are many mansions. Look, if it were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm not trying to make you think you have to do all this and na 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 na. Nothing's coming. No, he's. I'm doing this so we can be together. What? I go to prepare a place for you. Now watch, watch. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Why? That where I am, there you may be. He didn't leave you down here and you're on your own. He didn't say, I prove what I wanted. Now you figure out the rest. He's saying, remember me, remember me, remember me, and remember, I am coming back. That's what all this is. It's very sad but very joyous time. Jesus is saying by this supper, remember my body, how physically it suffered for you. I mean in detail, everything you can possibly remember. Think about it. Please don't forget that. The world's trying to hide it, make a story out of it, like I said this morning. Hide it away somewhere. Oh, you really believe that story? Bringing every doubt you possibly can. And the devil was not trying to get Jesus to the cross to kill him. He'd been trying since the beginning of time to stop all of that. Because once he died and rose again, the devil's fate is sealed. He said, my blood, which gives the New Testament its authority and brings forgiveness for you. That's what his blood did for you. Till I come. I did not bleed and die just so you can live the Christian life without me. I didn't do that so you could be without me. I did all this so we could be together. Like my father created you to do from the very beginning. You were created to be in fellowship with God and to walk with God. And God said, okay, look, I, I saved you and I forgave your sins if you're saved. This is to remember me, my body, my blood. And I want you to remember something else. As often as you do this, till I come, I want you to remember that too. So let's, let's, let's understand what we're doing here. I want you to remember this was done to get you back into the presence of God. This is a plan of God from, from before the foundation of the world. I am coming back to get you and take you to where my father is. That's what he's doing. And I want you to remember that. I didn't leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What a sad but joyous occasion we're about ready to celebrate. Amen. This is not, oh, this is going to be cool. I've never done this before. Please don't think that way. What a holy memorial Christ has set up to help us to remember. Because of this. This should not be entered into lightly. We do this service different than any other service we do. If you've never been here before, you'll, you'll understand. I want you, if you would please, to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. You're in Acts. Go forward. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I ask you not to enter into this lightly. This is why I prefer that children, as long as you're in the home, sit next to your parents. Parents, you have the say-so, not your child. And as this cup and this um, uh, bread is being passed, all you have to do is look at the ushers and those that are helping and just go like this and just pass it right on by. You know your children better than I do. You know you better than I do. Remember Judas. Everybody thought he was an okay guy. Jesus knew all along. And he said, that's why you're here. Nobody even suspected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 31, uh, 27, we need to be careful about how you enter into this tonight. Now watch, I'm not telling you don't. God is inviting you to come. Here, sit down with me if you would. And remember me and, and, and think about what I did. And let's fellowship together. And remember I'm coming back. So he's not saying, oh no, only you exclusive saints of God. No, he wants everybody to pull up to the table. Come on, let's spend some time together. But he says this, don't do it unworthily. 
Don't do that. Watch what it says. Go to verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever eateth this bread, now we know what we're talking about, and drinketh this cup of the Lord unworthily. You know what that word means? By dictionary definition, irreverently. Irreverently. Unfit. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What? I didn't kill him. He said, you're just like they were irreverent. You didn't believe. You don't think it's any big deal. He said, just like that. You're doing the same thing, irreverently, unworthily. Watch. But let a man examine himself. I'm not going to get up and go, don't you dare take it. What do you think you're doing? I'm not going to do that. I don't know where preachers get off from that. Maybe they know more about scriptures than I do. But I read it right here. Plainly says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. But, or for, because he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, irreverently, unfit, eateth and drinketh damnation, punishment and judgment. You're passing punishment and judgment upon yourself. Please don't do that. Don't we have enough problems without faking stuff? Damnation to him, not discerning the Lord's body. What's this all about? Remembering his body. He said, you're not even thinking about me. Look what you're doing. You're partaking. And you're not even thinking about me. Center your mind on the Lord, on his body, on his blood, and that he's coming back someday. Don't do this irreverently. Please don't do that. So this warning is in here during the Lord's Supper for a very important reason. Watch. For he that eateth and drinketh, I'm verse 29, eateth and drinketh damnation himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, because you do it irreverently, not discerning the Lord's body. He said many are weak. That means feeble in any sense. Many are sickly, which means infirmed and have unnecessary health problems. Please don't come to me and tell me, preacher, do you understand? I don't need that. That's between you and the Lord. Watch what he says here. And many sleep. That doesn't mean you're just tired and taking a nap. You look that up, he's talking about are dead. They're dead early because this has become a mockery to you. Oh, good. Hey, we're having Lord's Supper again. Man, this is, you'll like this. This is really neat. Excuse me? What are you doing? You're supposed to be thinking about his body. And you're supposed to be thinking about his blood. And then you're supposed to be thinking about that same person that went through all that. He's coming back to get me. You're supposed to be thinking. And if you don't, you're doing this irreverently. And the Bible said you're passing judgment upon yourself. For if we judge, watch it very carefully. For if we judge ourselves, we save ourselves from judgment. Please. Judge yourself. Are you saved? You may be saved, but are you willfully living in known sin and not even trying to fight it anymore? You just gave in to it. You show up to church because you have friends here. Other than that, it doesn't mean that much to you. And you're getting ready to partake of something like this? He said, please don't do that. Don't do that. Watch what he says here. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. If you leave it up to God, God's going to chastise you. That we should not be condemned with the world. And then he goes on from there. He says in verse 28 and verse 32, judge yourselves. Everything I talked about tonight and the Holy Ghost of God that's inside of you, if you're saved, is witnessing to you right now, you need to get this thing straightened up, man. Let, let, let's not enter into this unworthily. Now, don't do that. The Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, he is talking to you and saying, come on now, judge yourself. Judge yourself. Be honest about things. Get things right with God 
and then we can sit down at the table and enjoy him, his presence, and what he went through for you. So let's make sure we do this thing right. So are you saved? Are you baptized? Listen to me carefully. Not getting baptized is a sin. It is the first step in obedience after you're saved and you're disobeying the Lord. That's a sin. That's a sin. If you're not baptized, run up here, jump in the pool. Let's get the thing taken care of. Well, I think I need to study all that. This, this is the world's religious philosophy that's confusing you. So you're not living in known willful sin. You're making a mockery of this. His body that died and bled for you for your sins and your freedom, and you're not even saved. You think this is cool, it's going to be kind of fun, it's kind of neat. God said, please don't do that. And I'll tell you what you do. Judge yourself. And that way, God doesn't have to. Now, here's what we're going to do. You say, preach, I'm not really sure I'm saved. You know how long it takes for a person to get saved? About that long. So it's not like i got to come weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and I've got to spend months begging God to forgive me and I'll pay the price. You need to really quit believing all that Catholic garbage. Bumping your head on the steps as you climb up the, the chapel steps and make sure the blood is flowing and stuff. That is blasphemous. That is not true. Mother Mary is not going to help you one bit one way or another. Nobody else can forgive you of your sins but Jesus Christ. And I can go on and on and on with what the Mormons do and the Jehovah No Witnesses and the Catholics and the Lutherans and now even many Baptists, sad to say. That's why I prefer to use Bible. They say, I don't look at it that way. Then come on up here and tell them what you think about all this using Bible. I told you what I believe. And this is what we need to do. So I'm going to give you a few moments. Nobody's listening. We don't have any music right now. I'm just asking you in the quietness of the service, if you're not saved, please bow your head and say, God, I, I realize I'm, I'm not saved. I, I want to be with you. I want to do what's right. Please come into my heart now. If you'll do that, when your confession and your heart meets his truth, you can be saved. If not, Judas, you can fake it all you wanted. You got me fooled. Maybe you got your mom and dad fooled. Maybe you got your best friend fooled. Maybe you got the apostles fooled. But Jesus was never fooled. So we're going to bow our heads. If you have known sin, I, I suggest right now you ask the Lord to forgive you and make plans right now to stop it. If you're not saved, bow your head and ask the Lord to save you. Please, right now. So we'll take a few moments, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody saying anything.